This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today's thought, today's idea, should be a schus for an aliyah for the neshama of my grandmother, Babi Susie, Zizel Bas Chaim, who passed away this week, Parshas Nayach. She was an incredible, unbelievable woman, the matriarch of our family, and she's uh, very sorely missed. And uh, this share should be a schus Aliyah for her neshama and for uh, the entire family who is uh, currently sitting Shiva for Zizel Bas Chaim. So if you do like a word association game with the name Noah, what comes to mind? Think about that name for a second. Noah, Noah, Noah. So most people, when you think of somebody's life, you try to think of if it was good, it was bad, if it was tumultuous, what they went through. Think about Noah's life for just a moment. Most people would associate Noah with the Mabel. Most people would associate Noah with the 120 years leading up to the Mabel. Most people would associate Noah with a lot of things that were pretty tumultuous. His son, Ham, rebelling against him. He didn't have a very easy life at all. And it's very interesting when you think about it because Noach's name is Noach. It's, it's easy. It's nice. Zeyinach Aminu. Noach will be our Nechama. Everything will be great. It'll be wonderful. When you think actually about his life, it wasn't so great and it wasn't so wonderful. Of course, in the beginning of his life, they invented the plow. So it made everybody's curse a little bit easier. The fact that men had to work the ground and they were finally able to go ahead and use a plow rather than using their bare hands made things a little bit easier. But Noah's life, during his lifetime, the entire humanity was completely and utterly destroyed. 99.999% of the world was destroyed. Animals, people, vegetation, everything was completely eradicated during Noah's time. He had to rebuild everything completely from, from scratch. You think about his name, most of us don't have an association with pleasantness, with nechama. Their association is with turmoil and complete and utter destruction. But the Lubavitch Rebbe says an amazing idea. He says that Bereshus was Hashem creating the world. And when the world was created, he had Shabbos. Shabbos was sort of in a metaphorical way, Hashem stepping back and taking stock of what was built. And Hashem says, Shabbos, the day, Yoy Menucha, Noach, right? Has the same, same shirish, same root. Yoy Menucha, Shabbos is Yoy Menucha. It's a day of rest, of just appreciating what we've built, of what we have. It's not a day of doing, it's a day of appreciation what was. Okay, so what is Noach? Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that the same way that construction is a function of building, destruction is the exact same function. If you ask anybody in construction, where does construction start? It starts usually with destruction. You have to break down a building. You have to open a wall. You have to make a hole. And then you start building. Beratius was building. The end of Beratius was Shabbos. In that same way, since the world was utterly corrupt, it was completely destroyed. And that destruction 
was a part of a new rebuilding, a new, a new beginning, if we will. And therefore, Noah's name wasn't just associated with a plow. Noah's name was associated with actually recreating creation. That's how he got his name. Noah, Shabbos Yom Menucha, by the end of the Mabal, by the end of the destruction, by the end of the craziness, Hashem was able to stand back again and take stock of humanity and existence and everything that was now much smaller than it was before. But this was the start of a new beginning. Noach was Shabbos, was Yom Menucha. He was the beginning of a new beginning, the dawn of a new age. That's what Noach was. I think that most of us, we go through life expecting, wanting things to be good and easy and smooth. And then we hit different times in our lives which are difficult and they're hard. And it's very difficult for us to process that and know how to go about that. I think that some people are able to have the fortitude and the vision to be able to understand that even within the hardest and darkest moments of their life, there's a master plan, almost a part of creation within the destruction. Within the Holocaust, they see the rebuilding in another country. Within the argument, they see, they see the marriage, the relationship afterwards. Within the bad, they're able to somehow get a glimpse that eventually it will be good. And this bad will play into that good. My grandmother, Bubby Susie, was that kind of woman. She was the kind of person who had a very difficult life coming here. She was turning 99 in a few months. And she had a very difficult life coming here when she was 16. And it's still, I'm still processing her loss. And I don't want to use this you know, as a hesped for her per se. But within all the tumult of her life, she was constantly positive and looking forward to what the next step was in the most genuinely, like just simple amuna. Just everything is good. Has to be good. That was like her favorite line. Has to be good. Everything is good. It's all from Hashem. It has to be good. And to be able to see that perspective is just a beautiful and amazing thing. I want to share with you one more idea. An idea which I think is possibly one of the most powerful marriage ideas, relationship ideas, um, yet something which I think a lot of people have a very hard time with. So most couples, when they get married, they don't expect to be arguing, yelling, screaming at each other at all. And if you ask the average person, what are the skills, what are the tools for a happy marriage? What does a happy marriage look like? Most people will say, two people getting along, everything's great and wonderful, no conflict, no arguments, no putting each other down, no rolling your eyes, everything's good and great and wonderful. And that is very, very, very true. That is no, no question about it. That's true. Now, many years ago, I went with a, a group of my friends. I've mentioned this before on uh, Torah Anytime. I went with a group of my friends skiing in, uh, in Montreal with a bunch of Canadians. The Canadians knew how to, how to ski. The Americans did not know how to ski. And we were going there for a night and a day trip. So it was a 24-hour trip, a skiing trip. And when we got there at night, they told us that the only, uh, the only ski slopes that were open were the black diamonds and the double black diamonds. So the hardest ski slopes were the only ones that we were able to use. And 
the Canadians were fine with that, but the Americans who had never been skiing before, um, we didn't really understand what that meant. And we went all the way up the mountain and we went all the way up and 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 up because the mountains up there in Canada, Montreal go way up. And then we realized that this was just totally impossible. It's like cliffs that are just going straight down covered in ice. And it was really, really, really difficult to get from the top of the mountain to the bottom. And some people stayed on the ski lift. Some people just like sat down and just like slid down the mountain. And I remember turning to one of the Canadians and I said, listen, I know I'm going to fall, but can you just teach me how to get up? As long as I know how to get up, I'll make my, I'll make my way down the mountain. And we spent all night falling and falling and falling. And then eventually learning to actually ski well. And I think when a lot of people get into marriage, when they get into relationships, they have to learn how to have a good fight, how to have a good disagreement. But I think that one of the smartest um, ideas, one of the hardest but smartest ideas within a relationship is learning to not fight, but learning to steer the ship of your marriage into healthy territory. Most people, most couples have a question. How do I change my spouse? What's the secret recipe? And the way that they try to do it is they fetch, they complain, they give the silent treatment. They figure out a way to voice to their spouse their displeasure with what's going on. I don't like the fact that you smoke. It drives me crazy. Could you stop drinking, please, on Shabbos? You're eating too much. Like they, they voice their displeasure. And what happens 99.9% of the time? What happens? Nothing. Their spouse doesn't hear it. You're just bothering me. You're nagging me. You're driving me crazy. Stop trying to change me right? They feel like they're being controlled. They feel like somebody's trying to change their life and it just simply doesn't work. So what's the solution? The answer is that I I think that a lot of people look at marriage almost like a sports car. You're driving hundred miles an hour. You spin left, the car goes left. You spin right, the car goes right. Marriage is not a sports car. Marriage is not a sports car. Marriage is a very big ship, a Teva, if you will. Why not? Let's use a Teva. With a a rudder. You, know, you look at those old cap- captain wheels on a ship. You know, you say something nice, it turns it a drop. You say something nice again, it turns it a drop more. You say something not nice, it turns it back. It, it's, a, it's a captain ship in that it slowly steers things into positivity. It slowly steers things into negativity. And then I find that a lot of people, they exist within positive and they exist within negative. One of the biggest mistakes is thinking that you're just going to be happy without the need to have uncomfortable conversation, confrontation, speaking to your spouse about something that you want them to change, but learning how to do it, not just where you fall and you get back up, not just learning how to fight and then make up after the fight, but learning how to verbalize what it is that you want changed or done differently by your spouse in a way that is not trying to change them, but is actually steering the entire direction of the temperature of your house into a positive manner where your spouse will change differently and do something differently than they did before and they won't even realize that something happened is one of the greatest tools that you can have in marriage. I met with a couple recently. The woman was having a very hard time with the fact that her husband was waking up in the morning. He was waking up late. And for years, this is their morning. His alarm rings. She turns to him and she goes, get up, get up. Let's go. Come on. It's 730 where you got to get out of bed. And the guy goes, I can't move. I can't. Okay. Wake me up in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour. And then it's eight o'clock 
o'clock, 9.30. And by the time he comes down at 10 o'clock in the morning, she's furious. She's angry. She's, she's loses respect for him. It's like their marriage is a slowly negative. And we started working together on getting her to embrace this idea that yes, sometimes there are things that are, you don't just, not everything's rosy dozy. Not everything is, is great and wonderful. You do have to have a way that your spouse understands that something is different at a place has to change. But a smarter way to do it, the smartest way to do it would be to create something that's going to change the direction of where he's going without him even noticing it. How do you do that? You go to sleep earlier the night before. You encourage him, hey, let's go upstairs. Let's spend some time together. Let's read a book. Let's schmooze about something. You, you, in the morning, you get up, hey, by the way, like, let's just go downstairs for a minute. You go out to shul. I'm going to make you breakfast. And then when you come back, we're going to go for a 10-minute walk. And then you go to work. You work it into his schedule without him noticing it. It's not manipulating him, but it's slowly encouraging things. I call it channeling. You're slowly channeling things in a certain direction. And you find, if you're able to channel, then all of a sudden, your relationship doesn't become chaotic. It becomes structured demolition. And then you're able to build. Because when somebody feels challenged, when somebody feels confronted, when somebody feels like somebody's trying to change them and somebody doesn't like them and disrespects them, it's very, very rare for them to actually change something. When you slowly steer your relationship in a new direction, when you're able to see that not always you have to bite your tongue, not always you have to move out there. When you see that something has to change, of course it could change, but it could change more by you changing yourself and therefore, the reaction that your spouse has will be what you wanted them to do. That's where you're able to build unbelievable, unbelievable marriages. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.